The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So on today's podcast, it is my pleasure to welcome Rachel Nestle, who is a clinical pharmacist and also a partner AGP practice. Hi, Rachel. Good morning, Tommy. Thanks for having me. So good of you to take time out of your super hectic day. And I'm really excited to talk about this topic today because we are seeing more and more non-GP partners, which is something that we're really passionate about. And we're also going to talk a bit about how a pharmacist becomes a partner. So do you want to give the Medics Money podcast listeners a little bit of a brief intro to yourself and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So I've been qualified as a pharmacist for scarily 18 years now. I spent the first sort of 12 years mainly based in hospital pharmacy, moving around to different sort of hospitals with my husband as he was training as a doctor and we had to move every year, which I'm sure you remember. And then I had my children and then in 2015, I decided it was the right time to do my independent prescribing course. So embarked on that. And then rather luckily during my course, one morning on the BBC News, the Royal College of GPs and the Royal Pharmaceutical Society decided that actually maybe we could help each other with the ever growing shortage of GPs and allegedly the growing number of pharmacists coming out of university, maybe they could trial, can pharmacies help GP surgery? So that's, I thought, oh, that sounds really interesting and exciting. So a local GP surgery, luckily for me, I know a couple of the GPs and they're quite proactive surgery and they saw the pilot advertised from NHS England and they applied for the funding to get a pharmacist as a trial and I applied and here I still am. So that was basically a three-year pilot from NHS England, so the general practice pharmacy sort of scheme. I had to do an 18-month training program as a guinea pig, if you like, and they realised quite quickly throughout that cohort of, I think there were 650 of us in the country, the first cohort, they realised quite quickly that there's probably quite a lot in general practice that pharmacists can help with, with so many things relating back to medication. So... Yeah, after my three years of the scheme where it was part funded and the surgery got given money for me on a sort of decreasing basis, after year three, it was up to them if they wanted to keep me on, which luckily for me, they saw my value and it kept me on. And then it sort of grew from there, really, because that was already 2000 and early part 2019. And then the PCN suddenly became apparent. And with me being one of the few pharmacists in our four practices locally, they thought, well, I'd be best placed to supervise any new staff coming in through the R's role. And yeah, the rest seems to be history. And here I am now with a team of four pharmacists and three technicians and yeah, busy. Awesome. And so now you're a partner at the practice, which is still really quite unusual for pharmacists, in my experience, to be partners. So how has your experience of partnership been? Yeah, good. Overall, I'd definitely say good. Luckily, I work in a really nice, well, it's a very large practice as I'm actually the 14th partner. So it's a big practice. They're very forward thinking and it felt like quite a natural progression, if I'm honest. So over the, when did I start? I started 2016 and I became a partner in 2021. 
And over the last sort of couple of years, there was lots of hints about, oh, when you become a partner or, you know, oh, you should be a partner. And so it sort of just progressed from there, really. And I think I seem to get my fingers in quite a lot of pies in the surgery. So as well as doing the obvious pharmacy role, I do quite a lot of other things in the practice, sort of quite logical process management. I think as pharmacists, we're relatively good at bringing that skill set to the practice. So helping with our recall management, trying to streamline stock control in the treatment room, improving the way we document all of our long-term conditions, making standardized processes, SOPs, those sorts of things. So I'd been involved in a lot of other things in the practice apart from pharmacy. And I think the partners just saw a bit of value in that. And with the, you know, the risk that there's less and less people wanting to be partners, I think they just saw the opportunity to grab me and ask if I'd jump on board, which I did. Yeah. So I think that was really good. Like, cause I was going to ask what kind of things do you bring different from a, you know, a more conventional partner. And that was a really interesting list. So obviously the medication stuff goes without saying, but the process management and the logical sort of way of making an SOP. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So I thrive and I think actually most pharmacy professionals were quite known for being similar personality traits. I like an efficient process and we've obviously got quite a strong eye for detail, attention to detail with the job that we do. So, you know, seeing a system that's not really working and then taking it back to basics and thinking out a more logical, more efficient way to manage a process and then, yeah, documenting that training staff. So recently, I guess an example is our long-term condition management. It was driving me crazy that with COF, we were missing out on so many sort of indicators even though we were doing the work it, it just wasn't being documented properly and when you looked at it and we did a little sort of poll I think four of our staff in the treatment room were all recording things on a different template in a different way and that just seemed really bonkers when they're all doing the same work and we're trying to get the same outcomes so basically looked at the Arden's long-term condition template I went through and thought right what do we actually need to know what's the most logical order and then created yeah an SOP. And then as we've had new star, I've just trained, I've been involved in getting them quite early on. Right, this is what you do. This is how you open it. It's very, you know, logical order, the same thing. And it means that they're clear what they're doing and that we get all of our quaff indicators, which is good. I love it. And not an Arden's advert, but those long-term template conditions are, you know, really, really useful. So we also yeah. use them extensively. Yeah. And you're right, you know, you need to standardize these processes so that, you know, you don't miss anything. And also that you can scale up effectively if needed. You know, practices are getting bigger, so you may need to scale your systems and processes. And if you're going to grow, you need to have those systems and processes really tight. So you're on our GP partnership course. I mean, I should normally read out some kind of advert for it, but the October cohort is now sold out. So if you want to come next, <laughs> yeah, but it's not going to be great because everyone's going to be like, I want to come, but uh, it's sold out. But if you want to come next year, just uh, go to medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course and you can get on the waiting list. But yesterday's session, we had a really good discussion about our staff because this is how our staff discussions go for me. Like, how's your R staff going? amazing it's the best thing i've ever done the pharmacist doing this the physio's doing this you know the mental health staff are amazing okay and for me that's been my experience but the other side is it's terrible 
you know, we're not gaining anything. They're creating work for us. We never see them. And there's no middle ground, okay? And that is really common thing that we hear and indeed what played out on the course yesterday. And, you know, the point that I made was that if you look at it from the point of view of the R staff, they're rotating through many different practices, all of who work differently. They don't feel very sort of attached. And you put it so well that they have no sense of belonging. And I think you've got a really nice innovative solution. So how can people who are not getting the most out of their R staff do that? Because I really liked your input there. Yeah. So obviously I supervise, like I said earlier, I've got four pharmacists and three pharmacy technicians. And I noticed quite early on that each of them were finding it really difficult to integrate across four different practices, you know, find their feet. And what was happening when I had the first member of staff, she would split her time a few hours in each surgery spread across the different days so she was never in the same place for more than a few hours at a time but at least the surgeries felt like they got their hours worth of the money if you like and then when we got the second pharmacist I sort of stopped and thought to myself well actually maybe we should try to just focus on each of them having two of the four practices each that makes it a bit easier for them to get to know people and then COVID hit and it actually got really tough because they all had to just sit in one place and not ever move around but that got me thinking and I you know, I thought back how I would feel. And I think all of us like to have a sense of belonging. We like to feel like we have a home and somewhere to base ourselves. And it just came about that I had some space here in my surgery that was becoming empty from district nurses moving out of our practice, sadly. But I just saw the opportunity that wouldn't it be really nice if we could create a hub for the pharmacy PCM team, that they had a home, they had a base, they had somewhere they could come to that was a safe place to chat through difficult things that we can have supervision with myself because obviously this is my practice they can bounce ideas off each other and the idea really progressed and the really nice thing for us actually was that our clinical directors saw so much value in our pharmacy team that the money we earned in the IIF scheme in the first couple of rounds they reinvested to pay for us to build our hub and knock down a wall and make the hub a usable space get new computers you know a couple of plants nice picture you know what it make a nice space. And that was really nice because they also then felt valued by their directors. And yeah, so that's what I've done. So they do all still go out to the different practices, but on one day a week on a Wednesday, they're all in the same hub because that's the day where I'm here the whole day. We use it as an opportunity for staff training and just generally catching up and going through things. I love that. Obviously very forward thinking. And I think you're right. Like they do need, everyone needs a sense of belonging and to have that sort of community feeling and that even just that physical space, it must be amazing. So if people are listening and thinking, right, I'm going to do what you just suggested there. What other tips do you have for people to get the most out of their R's roles? Because there was so much wisdom that was shared yesterday on the course. Ooh, well, I think... Communication, that's the obvious one. Communicate with your R staff. Make sure they've got someone in each practice they know that they can go to themselves. Like, have they got a supervisor or a mentor? I was the obvious person for our staff because I obviously am a pharmacist. So that lends itself quite well. And I realize not everyone will have a pharmacist that can supervise them. But just having a named person that they know they can go to, I know that they all really value that. And making sure they feel part of the practice, introduce them. When I do my induction, you know, I make sure that all of them 
go around for a week or two sitting in all the different departments in my practice at least just to so they understand the roles of a GP surgery staff like what they all do and how they might interact with each other the other thing is that as well as in my hub that they all sit together I actually have my own practice prescribing coordinators and that lends itself really well to each other because my coordinators feel really happy that they've got pharmacists on hand that they can ask advice to and you know vice versa they sometimes learn tips the pharmacists from the prescribing coordinators you know things are out of stock they can hear on the phone there's constant communication about the same thing so I think communication is the biggest thing that people need to remember and yeah just trying to integrate them in any way they can really yeah, and just to reiterate, you know, they've been so valuable at our practice and in our PCN. So if you can get this right, it's an absolute game changer. You know, the days of GP does everything, GP knows best. You know, if you've got a medication problem, it is definitely better to go and see Rachel and not me. You know, uh, and, and GPs have their strengths. Pharmacists have their strengths. If you've got a shoulder injury, Absolutely. is it best to go and see somebody who's trained in that specific discipline for years, like a physio or me? Yeah it's, yeah, it's not me. So, uh, you know, <laughs> and building out that sort of GP multidisciplinary team has been a, a real game changer for our practice, but there are challenges with it as well. So going forward, I wondered if like to get integration across your PCN, are you trying to standardize workflow and procedures there or what's absolutely. your plan? Absolutely. Yeah. From a pharmacy point of view, I'm absolutely trying to standardize things. So a really good example would be in my practice, I have taken control of the DMARD monitoring and prescribing. So what was happening was you know, quite an old system and it was quite time consuming for the GPs. So what I did is I take control of it and I do all of the, when the prescriptions requested, I check the bloods, you know, make sure they're coming in and my technician manages that quite well. So what we've tried to do is emulate what I do at my practice across the other three surgeries. So with the help of my R staff, We've certainly helped set that up in one other surgery already. And we're hoping that eventually we can encourage the other two to get on board. It just makes everything easier if it's standardized. And medicine's reconciliation. So we quite quickly took control of that across all four surgeries. It's not funded per se. And that is the frustrating thing because it's probably the biggest amount of work we do in a day. But it is what brings the most value to our GPs. They all absolutely love it that every single document entering each of the four surgeries comes to the pharmacy team before it reaches them. And I've got a very standardized process from my team across all four surgeries. We do exactly the same thing. We document it in the same way. We code the same thing. And we've got a centralized phone line in our hub so we can ring patients for all four surgeries from one direct dial. And we just send an app to our ex if they're not in explaining this was your pharmacy team from your surgery ring this number, not your surgery number. I love it. How big is your PCN out of interest? 54,000 patients. Wow, you're doing that with you know, not a massive PCN. That's really impressive. But I think, you know, we talked a bit about this earlier, but essentially, you know, scaling up, rolling out good processes is really, really important. And this is something that I've really learned, not just from being a GP, because, you know, the PCN is effectively working at scale you know, working together, but also at Medics Money, there's a really good book called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, I think it is. And it's basically about how to scale an organization. And when Medics Money started getting bigger, the book is basically that you need to get good SOPs, you know, everything needs to be protocolized. And it's about a cake shop, basically. And yeah. one cake shop gets sort of protocols really good, you know, their mixtures of their 
cakes are really precisely written down. The other one, the recipes are just in the guy's head and that's not the way to scale. So I really like that book. And yeah, it sounds really boring management speak, like write an SOP, but actually right now that is what our extra staff at Medics Money are doing. They're writing SOPs so that our podcast always goes out in a protocolized way. To the SOP didn't really cover building work going on in the background, but <laughs> hopefully the noise kind is not too, you kind of it all. I might need to add that to the SOP. What's next for you, Rachel? Because, you know, there's a lot of, being a GP primary care right now, it's definitely hard. There's a lot of negativity around, but there's also, I come across just amazing areas of positivity where things are working. So where are you on the hope and or despair scale in GP <laughs> and justify your decision? I think I'm probably slightly more in the hope. I would say probably less than I might have been a couple of years ago, but I'd like to think I'm about 75% hopeful. I think the hardest challenge, if I'm honest right now, is motivating the workforce. It's been, as we all know, a really difficult couple of years. People are a little bit on their knees. The press obviously don't help. The changing government doesn't help. Patients, in my experience, I don't know about you, they're pretty angry right now at life. And it's very easy for GP receptions to get the brunt of that when they ring up. So I think as a partner, it's about trying to improve our communication in our practice, making everyone feel valued, making them realize that we're all here for the same reason. Sometimes it may not always feel like that, but we are ultimately all here for the same game to do the best by our patient. On the flip side, trying to manage that alongside being a business that's successful and actually gaining enough income to keep moving forward and keep progressing like we try to. So the budget gets a bit trickier each year. Obviously, I've only been a partner a couple of years, but I could tell by the faces of my partners this year that the accounts and the budget was not particularly the best reading they've come across over the last five years. So that is challenging and trying to just find new and innovative ways to bring income into the practice whilst trying to be a good provider of care to the patient. Yeah, definitely. You know, it is challenging out there right now, but in the main, the NHS is still doing an amazing job. And you're right. It does feel like we're under attack from certain sections of the right wing media. And I think that definitely contributes to patients feeling angry. And we need to sort of counter that narrative, in my opinion, because, you know, they're being fed propaganda from the right wing press. Fine. Like, let's just show them the actual things. So we've done a few things at our practice to try to counter that narrative. So we set up a Facebook page and that was as a result of Dr. Gandalf. I'm not into social media, but the Facebook page has been amazing. It's a direct channel of communication where we can say this month we gave out, you know, 10,000 appointments. So we had 150 DNAs and, you know, certain percentage were booked within this time. And then they're like, wow, that's what sounds okay. And then they read Yeah. You know, so counter the narrative, take back control of communication. We're starting an email newsletter. Our PPG is, you know, it's good. So that's useful. But I think, you know, yeah, there's a lot of negativity in the media and on social media. But then when I'm in the real world, most patients are really nice, really grateful. Most of them were able to help in a reasonable time frame. And I still, despite everything that's going on, well, I still love being a GP. I still think it's the best job in the world. I get paid to help people and make them better. And I still feel despite the system and maybe not because of the system that, you know, we are doing a good job. So it's good to hear that you're similarly positive. Am I going to put you in a positive camp? Yeah, I would say, yeah, I think I am positive. And I think, yeah, I hope that we can, we've come through worse. I'm sure we can 
come through a bit of negativity and hopefully persuade the public otherwise. Absolutely. And uh, you mentioned that there might be a change of government soon. It's looking ever more likely. So (laughs) yeah, who knows? Obviously we're politically neutral, but you know, we can dream. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Brilliant. Rachel, I know you've got loads to do and you're at work right now and you've got to catch up on the replay from yesterday's course session, which was on the accounts. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Was that useful? I found it really useful. Definitely. He broke it down in a really nice way that made it a bit, you know, understandable and yeah, definitely useful. Awesome. Are you coming to London? I'm coming to London. Awesome. I'm just writing an email about that. So, oh, that's exciting. So I'll see you in London where we're having a little gathering. So that'll be amazing. Brilliant. Thanks so much for your time. Have a good rest of your day and see you soon. Yeah, see you soon. Take care.